What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. Hopefully, we have a good podcast collal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports with wacky-ass hijinks and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Oh, Graham. Good to be back here again. Last week felt very unfair at the end of all that. Best episode we've put out in quite some time. Felt great about it. And... Lost it all. But I guess it was kind of fortunate that on the week you screwed up with the whole hitting record thing, something happened with my mic and it screwed up too. So it's somewhat fortunate, I suppose. Yeah, it's, I think it's better to fuck up together than fuck up alone. Because then we, I think we'd have some bad chemistry going into this segment if one guy had messed up last week and the other guy was fine. Now that we, I know your mistake is a lot, uh, can't really be controlled, whereas mine, I just don't think I hit record. Your uh, microphone buzzing, I think, was out of your control. So maybe it is all my fault, but hopefully we have, you know, put that behind us. Hopefully we have a show and we can talk some Atlanta sports for real for the first time in this new calendar year. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel any sort of Trey Young, John Collins animosity towards you at all. Like, at the time, I was a little perturbed because I was so proud of my probably my best performance I've ever brought to this podcast. I was I did research. I was clearly the only one that had been watching the Hawks, and I actually ran with that. I had some good insight from all of the games of the year, and now they're all just muddled details in my head. So I'm not going to be able to bring that again. But you know what? At the end of the day, I realized, hey, that could happen to anybody. You know, I could have been that guy. Of course, I could be doing that right now and not even yep. know it. So, <laughs> let's. Why don't you check that just to be uh, just for our paranoid mindset? Oh, no, let, let's just you're probably an looking hour at it. seven straight, and then you know, just assume everything works out okay. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I think you know, take the same approach like we did last time, and uh, everything will turn out for the best. I, I think you got my shitty Atlanta Wikipedia page segment right. Yeah, yeah, we have our last episode was like a seven minute episode of sort of us initially talking before all hell broke loose. Speaking of just talking Atlanta sports heads, did you know that Steak Shapiro used to live next to Richard Jewell and like watch TV with him back in the 90s? No, I think that's my Atlanta fact of the week. You know, for the people who don't know who Richard Jewell is, he was the security guard that saved a ton of lives at the 1996 Olympics where he saw what turned out to be a bomb and pushed a lot of... He alerted law enforcement and pushed a lot of people away from the bomb, and then he ended up getting his life ruined by getting accused of being the one to plant the bomb. And apparently, Steak Shapiro used to watch TV with Richard Jewell. How about that, Graham? Cool. That's uh, how does he? How did he know Richard Jewell? Is my uh, they, question. Being that Steak is such a they, big they, shot. <laughs> he used to live in the same apartments that Richard Jewell did off Claremont in '85. No shit. I guess this was before he uh, for Atlanta eats. Oh yeah, th- this was a, uh, you know, when Steak was just. Well, he's he's unemployed currently, but sure, <laughs> he had the the, the <laughs> same sports notoriety that you and I have. 
in the media anyways. I don't know, Adam. We're, we're, we're like second to so, none. So I don't, I don't want to be comparing our, uh, our prowess now as, as the preeminent force in Atlanta sports talk and compare that to Stake back in the mid-'90s. I think that's a uh, load of bullshit, and you should take back your statement. I take back where I shit on ourselves. <laughs> even, even though you – I noticed last week, like, in your little, like, intro when I wasn't there, you were just like, this episode is a lot better than all the hot trash we've been putting out there. I'm like, hey, man, maybe we should – I was just uh, doing a little self-deprecating you know, humor. Not, that, that's not the best promotion. We have loyal, we have loyal users that we might be alienated right now potentially by talking about this but i think no matter what we say uh with within a certain degree as long as we keep somewhat of the quality we're expected to deliver we'll be okay but yeah probably not the best choice of words but i thought it was a little funny i think 2021 we talk ourselves up graham this is the year you know we had a bit of a swing and a miss last week but like i was squawking about at the beginning of last week's episode which may or may not have made the cut you know, we're consistent. We're going to show up. We had a tough week. We're here in week two, ready to bring it. Talk some big time Atlanta sports. Your college football is over, Graham. That's one less thing for you to not watch. So, you know, we're, we're just really gearing up towards full Atlanta sports. I heard today, to jump into things a little bit, that everyone's favorite commissioner, Rob Manfred, said that the baseball season will be 162 games this year. That's good. That That's okay. That's wow. all I have to say. What an electric <laughs> response. Dynamite drop in. Really bringing it. Yeah. That, that's that's <laughs> I those, good. I see those announcing schools are really paying <laughs> off. Of yeah. All those uh, visits <laughs> to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I mean, that's that's what we expected, though. I mean, it's kind of like what it feels like a non-starter. I wasn't expecting that. We we just played what? We just played sixty-two games. Well, just think about it. NFL is doing their full season. NBA is doing their full season. So why wouldn't baseball do their full season? NBA is not doing their full season. That's why we started close to Christmas and is instead of the end of October. Well, that's just because of the extenuating circumstances due to the 2019-2020 season being a little delayed. They're still going to play eighty-two games fake news they're playing like 60 something what yeah yeah well shows what i know then the credibility of this podcast continues to go into the shitter yeah (laughs) (laughs) well the nfl i know for a fact that the nfl is playing its full season full playoffs etc they did they also play one game a week but i take your main point the nfl had time to prep for COVID and how to work around it. And uh, the rest of the sports did not until this year. Now baseball kind of knows what they're doing, how to make games happen. Right. Blasey, blasey, blah. I mean, baseball is really the first sport back, if you think about it, in terms of post-COVID bullshit, really having a a season go, you know, um, even though it it was an awkward season. They, 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 you know, when that start June, July. Well, NASCAR, I think either NASCAR or golf was the for, first oh, sport back. I don't care about that. We don't talk about those sports, Adam. But don't you remember to, we were so desperate for sports? Like I set up my TV in the backyard and like, like we weren't watching it, but I was like, I'm going to put on NASCAR because it's on 
channel five dash one on the digital antenna and it's a live sporting event i'll admit i watched the entirety of the match between like brady and peyton manning and whoever the hell else played phil mickelson i watched that whole fucking thing that's how sports starved i was but i I would not be willing to watch nascar no no freaking way one of the most boring things you can possibly watch i remember you sending a text like it was like the super bowl come watch tom brady and peyton manning (laughs) play golf in the backyard and yeah and I, I was sad i had to miss it sounded awesome i'm sure uh but yeah baseball like i remember watching that first game on it was one of like three preseason games on fox sports south and i was just so happy to watch preseason well preseason in june baseball so let us be grateful that that's the plan for 162 games hopefully it gets off without a hitch I mean, that was just so obviously tragic for other reasons, but like just to like get into the meat of spring training and then just have it all ripped away from you just like that. I don't want to do that again, Graham. Yeah, I think they'll. I think baseball did a pretty good job. You only had a couple of times when you know there was uh, outbreaks, and that was mostly due to just people being dumbasses. And I think the vast majority of the baseball role did a good job of, of of being safe and making sure a season would happen so i expect that to I mean, carry really, over <clears throat> really really most of the sports have like you think of like every single sport that restarted there were all the skeptics talking about how there's no way this is ever going to work and then sure enough college football just finished yesterday i mean they had some games canceled in there but they had a lot of more difficult circumstances than the professional leagues do so they know how to do it at this point at least right but, uh, you have you have some confidence that we can sit here and talk about it once a week and actually have some content sure so that's that's what i'm grateful for in 2021 graham i'm, I'm glad you're counting your blessings take nothing for granted content. young man yes thank you graham you are welcome adam all right let's dive in Adam, to let's talk. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the Hawks, or do you want to start with some Falcon stuff? Well, before we dive in, should we take a quick break to make sure that our sound is recording? That sounds like a plan. We'll be right back with you. And we're back, and it's a good thing we took the break because I was having sound issues again. But, you know, we're just going to just go right through and continue recording. And, Graham, you were saying something about starting the segments. Yeah. So we're either going to talk about the Hawks or the Falcons, Adam. And I am kind of in the mood, just because I watched a lot of football this weekend, to start with the Falcons. All right. If you're up for that. Let's do it. All right. So the Falcons have finally started looking into GMs. Uh, the lead candidate, according to a lot of pundits, is Terry Fontenot from the New Orleans Saints, who is their assistant GM, has been in their organization for 16 years, started out as a scout. So this guy certainly has had a hand in getting guys like Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and Cameron Jordan, uh, three of our biggest nemesises, nemesi. I don't know how you would pluralize nemesis, but... I just tried to and probably Nemesee? failed. Nemesee could be. I think it's that could, Nemesee. That could, that could be a possibility, too. That sounds like the best possible uh, 
option out of the three we just tossed out there. Multiple uh, nemesis. Yes, multiple nemesis. So this guy had a good interview apparently the first time, and he is having a second interview. Um, he had a five-hour interview last week, according to Jeff Duncan. And I think, according to the Falcoholic, they said that this is the first candidate, either head coach or general manager, that is undergoing a second interview with the Falcons. Now, here's the problem, and we talked about this last week, but it wasn't heard because of our terrible audio issues. Why are the Falcons interviewing coaches and general managers at the same time? Isn't the purpose of the general manager to make the organization and his image, which a huge part of that is getting a head coach that he knows he's going to be able to work with. So I, I really don't understand why the Falcons started interviewing head coaches and now they're doing GMs a little afterwards. Doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't add up. I don't get it. And it's just another example of poor management, I think, by Arthur Blank and further Rich McKay, since he's the head of football operations. I guess we can blame him the most. But I think it's absolute horseshit that this is happening in this order. And well, I have I don't get it. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying I, I don't I don't I don't get the rationale there. Maybe you have some insight that I don't. And I don't know if this is an anomaly in terms of how NFL organizations search for both coaches and GMs, but I still don't understand why we didn't get a GM in here sooner that is looking for a coach now as opposed to looking for both at the same time when we're, I think, just a little over three months away from the draft. And ter- and this is also one of the most important drafts that the Falcons have had maybe since 2008 when we drafted Matt Ryan. And you're telling me that we don't have anyone in place to really make those decisions yet. That is just another strike against this organization to me. That was a long and. It is, him. yes. I was expecting one more point, got about four or five well you know me i I, I, i'm an unfiltered windbag who likes to repeat himself so (laughs) i'm curious about how your brain works sometimes like do you have all these thoughts lined up in your head or are you kind of just like an open the mouth and things come out type of guy well it's your brain well the brain works in a number of ways adam sometimes i'm very clear and concise with my analysis and that comes from doing research and knowing what I'm going to say beforehand. And then it's sort of, it's just an amalgamation of both those things. And then I explode from all the blue ball rage I have as a Falcons fan, kind of like the head scene in Scanners where the head explodes. That's me in a nutshell. I don't know that reference. And I know at least one of our users that also won't know that reference, Graham. Well, look up, look up. It's on YouTube. The scanner head explosion is one of the best practical effect head explosions in movie history. Okay. Okay. I figured it was a movie. I knew that much. Yeah. But I think I have an answer to your frustration, which I'm just using kind of logic to figure this one out, Graham. Logically, we started interviewing coaches around the same time as GMs because, you know, there's what, four, five, now six other teams out there looking for coaches? Right? Sure. So you can't just, like, you got to make your list. Right, right. But why not get a GM in, you know, within a month after TD gets fired? I think kind of similar reasons is a lot of GM candidates won't be available until after the season. 
like you can do some preliminary talks, but I think as with coaches, like a lot of teams won't let their guys talk to other teams until after the season. Well then, you know, why are we talking? Well, it's not even just after the season, but I mean, like, you know, Terry Fontenot is, is on the saints and he's got a chance to go to the NFC championship. And we're talking to him quite a bit. The regular, I think, I think the regular season is the cutoff where you can start talking to people. I'm kind of talking out of my ass here as well, just like you, but I think your point becomes valid if we hire a coach before a GM, which I don't think will happen. I think we're like the GM hire, I think comes soon. Well, my, my hope would be follow that. Yeah. My hope would be if we do that, right. If we do that, then the GM better have his own interview with the coaching candidate. If we're having coaches come back, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm pretty sure head coach of the Atlanta Falcons isn't a job where you just do one interview and then get hired. I think it's multiple rounds of interviews. So, you know, the the first round of interviews that's going on right now, that's just like the phone interview with like an intern. Think of it like that. And then, you know, if they check all those boxes, they like know what football is. They've never killed anybody. You know, they go to the next round. And then once you hire your GM, then he's going to be in on some of those next rounds of interviews, Graham. Does that make sense? That would, I, I can kind of get, I can kind of get behind that. That makes a little more sense. But you're, you are right that if the coach is hired before the GM, that's a huge problem. And it just, you know, before last week, we didn't hear anything about the Falcons talking to any general manager people, except for, I think, Rick Smith, who used to be the Texans GM. And I know he interviewed but my question also is Rick Smith, and I don't think is even in the league right now. So why? Yeah, who's that? Mike Smith's Mike Smith's brother? Uh, given the differences in their ethnicities, I would argue against it, uh, unless there's something we don't know, like or unless we have like a Liam Gallagher situation, like on Shameless. But um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a good reference. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, I don't think they're related. But and then there's also the talk of like Lewis Riddick potentially the Monday Night Football guy being a candidate for um, general manager who's no longer in the who's just you know does Monday Night Football but who has extensive experience as a scout was a college player playing the pros. I think either way, I mean, you got to do your due diligence. You don't want to rush this thing, but God, this is such an important decision. And I hate, 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 hate that Rich McKay who hasn't made a damn football decision in 14 years is in charge of this. That is just not good to me. Well, what, what are you going to do? It, it's it's the reality of the situation. Like, who else is going to be in charge of it? I know, but this is the most important decision we've had in so long, Adam, and, and this could send us further down the rabbit hole of mediocrity and underperformance or just well, failing performances that we've become accustomed to, especially this year, for years to come. If you if you what's fuck Rich this McKay's up, title? He's the president, president of football of, operations. He's the de facto. Okay, so he's the de facto man in charge of all football operations right now. So so say Rich McKay isn't the president of football operations, and we need to hire a president of football operations. Who's doing that hiring then? I think that at that point, you're hoping that either do a search firm, which I'm not. As big on, but I also 
wish that Arthur would just put someone else in that position who's, you know, has experience but isn't just a washed-out dinosaur like McKay. Like, McKay's teeth are, are, aren't there anymore. McKay's football mind is atrophied, I'm sure, because all he wants to do is be the next commissioner of the league. I mean, he's been in charge. Uh, he, he, he headed up the billion of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. He's buddy-buddy with Goodell. He doesn't give a shit about the Falcons. He's so given- you want Arthur... You want Arthur Blank to hire the the new guy who's going to hire the GM who's going to hire the coach. Well, who else is going to do it? I mean, like, that's my point. I Either way, he's got the wrong person in here to make this decision. Well, and he's loyal to McKay because McKay was the GM during the Mike Vick years. This is going back to Arthur's loyalty, which has gotten him into trouble time and time again, continues to bite him in the ass. You know, we look back at that one and seven start last year, and we're like, "Why isn't Dan Quinn fired?" But oh, they finished strong when it didn't count anymore. Arthur's instincts just aren't good as a as a as an owner of a football team. That, that cannot be denied. Yeah, they're anymore. screwed. I, I'm tr- I'm trying to like while you were talking in my head, I was trying to think of who currently in the organization could be like helping out with this decision. And in my head, I was like, "Oh, like the head coach." And it's like, "Oh, we don't have a head coach." Right. I was like, oh, maybe like Matt Ryan. And then it's like, oh, he might be gone in the next year or two. Um, yeah, it's, it's a conundrum. Bro. Yeah, and everybody else kinda... that you got is a, is a TD or DQ guy. And, and, you know, we don't want their opinions. So, yeah, Raheem, like Raheem Morris isn't going to help with that decision. No, because he, he, wants, the he wants the job. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I think just the foundation, foundationally, we are in trouble. Now, that's not to say Rich McKay can't make a good decision. That's not to say Rich McKay is a total loser. I'm just worried more about he's been away from this football side of things for too long. I'm really concerned so, about that. All that being said, how do you feel about the uh, the Mr. Bill Dotrieve hire out of New Orleans? Oh, Terry Font- Fontenot? Uh, yeah, yeah. I like it because he has a lot of experience. You know, 16 years with, with the Saints organization pedigree of winning i hate to say that because i hate the saints um he's also pretty young i think he's only in his like late 40s or no he's only 40 he's he's born in 1980 i looked this up the other day yeah he's only 40 years old has 16 years experience in the nfl with one of the better organizations in the league um as i said has, has had a big hand and and getting a lot of great players in new orleans also one thing that i think is impressive is when he Around when he became assistant general manager is when the Saints started to become a force again. They got out of their seven, seven and nine bullshit sort of things. You know, where they every year they were seven and nine. So the seven and niners, the seven and niners were the three years in a row they're seven and nine. And now, you know, every year since then they've been a perennial Super Bowl contender, even though they haven't gotten there. And they've had choke jobs in the playoffs, etc. But that's I, I think in terms of the job he's done, and I'm not. It's not to say who knows how big of a hand he had in everything. But having that title as assistant GM tells me that he has had a big impact on where the Saints franchise is in terms of them being contenders for the last four, big-time Super Bowl contenders for the last four years or so, four or five years. And I think that he is probably one of the stronger candidates I've heard for GM. I know we also have talked to, um, like I said, Rick Smith, and there are a couple other guys um, that come to mind but apparently adam terry fontenot is big time buddies with your boy uh joe brady uh at the carolina panthers who is also a contender for the job 
So this might be the guy you you want to be instilled in the general manager position in order to get your boy Joe Brady. Yes, and I think Joe Brady, I know we discussed him on the Lost episode, but I'm a Joe Brady guy mainly just from watching a depleted Carolina Panthers team just like be creative as hell and do Shanahan shit. And he's a young guy that came from LSU. He's got a Saints connection as well. And I was very excited when I saw the Fontenot thing myself. But I know he's also, I mean, he's obviously interviewing with other teams that need a GM. So I know the most recent report was that there's a possibility we get him. I don't know if that means we're the highest possibility. Who the hell knows? But that one intrigues me. Like at the end of the day for GM, I just you want someone that's come from a successful organization. And like you said, it sucks, but the Saints have been successful. Yeah. Minus in the playoffs. And it's not even just like, you know, T D, you know, come came from New England. But I don't think T D was ever like assistant GM or anything like that. He was like director of scouting or something. It's like this guy is making has made big decisions in the front office and has done very well. And he's only forty. I mean, think about the, the wealth of experience you have in 16 years in an organization. But you're, he started when he was 24. He's 40 now. And he's the assistant general manager and, of the New Orleans Saints. In fairness, his first, like, six years were probably, like, you know, that, not that in-depth. Well, he was a scout. So, I mean, he worked his way up. So he, he was knows. a scout at 24? Yeah. Having risen through the ranks, he knows what, it, what, it, what you need to be successful in all these, these variety of positions from scout to executive. So I think he can also maybe pull some guys that he works with from the Saints to come here and then stick it to the Saints and beat their asses over the next yeah, couple of years. That would be fun. A name like him, his resume is a lot more exciting than Mike Smith's brother who comes from a loser organization in Houston that allowed a head coach to trade their best player on the team. Now, he like, was he was gone. In fairness, at that point, he was gone as the GM, so... Regardless, what have the Texans ever done? I mean, he they drafted some good players, but they never really put it together. You know, they never had sustained playoff success. So, I'm not saying I want a that, guy with the Super Bowl. Yeah, I would a rather, guy who's won something in his right. Life. I would rather have Fontenot based off his resume for sure. I'm just saying Rick Smith isn't to blame for trading DeAndre Hopkins and the Joe Brady connection. Like, if you get, let's face it, we don't want retreads. We want, I mean which is a little risky. Like, one of them could completely suck and not pan out. Yeah. But I want the young guys with potential to build something from the ground up. Right, and that's the thing that you would get with Fontenot and Brady in the sense that, you know, is only 40. I'm sure Joe Brady's not even 40 yet. I don't know how old he is, but I know he's a very young guy in terms of NFL he's coaches. Like 30, 32? Right. 33? So this is something where you could have – these two guys instilled at the head of your organization for years to come if things go well. Uh, also worth mentioning that Eric Bieniemy and it finally interviewed. Reports came out that it was a bad interview, and then those were squashed and said it was a good interview. So who knows who's telling the real, you know, the truth there? But I will say the one thing that worries me about Brady a little bit is just his lack of experience in the NFL. Only one year so far, I believe, right as a, as a coordinator, whereas Bieniemy has, I think eight or nine years on him. So that's not to say that you can't come in here and just totally start kicking ass. Cause I mean, I think we, you know, Sean McVay is, is exhibit one on that in terms of not having a ton of experience in the NFL and being a great coach. Um, 
I think I would be comfortable well, no, with either one of those guys um, working in this uh, organization. I think, you know, one of the things that I know I've been a big B enemy guy, but you have to think about it, too, is like, is the system that he runs, is that going to work in Atlanta? The system in Kansas City has totally different players in totally different stages of the career. You know, Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes, their running back, Edwards Hilaire. Those are all really young guys, and then if he comes here, he's working with Matt Ryan. Not nearly as mobile, not nearly as dynamic, not nearly as good. Julio Jones is old. Calvin Ridley could fit into that Tyreek Hill role for sure. But it's just it's gonna be a it's just a totally different core of players. You know, and Bienemy's name hasn't become hot until they've gotten this core until you know Andy Reid has molded this organization to what it is today. And even though I'm sure, like we've said, Bienemy is, is is one of the architects of that offense. He doesn't call the plays. You know, Joe Brady. One of the things he brings, at least, is that he's calling the plays for Carolina. You're seeing the success, and you can you can attribute a lot of that success, even though it wasn't you know a total gangbuster offense. But you know, you can cite injuries. Christian McCaffrey only played in three games, but you can see that if he had a better unit, that the scheme is good, that the scheme is good. And so that's just something I wonder about with the enemy, if he is the coach. Can he either take that offense from Kansas City and mold it to the Falcons, or is that just not a match that's made in heaven? I don't know. There's a lot of things that we don't know, and uh, it's difficult to say. But I think there's just a lot of – I have a lot of questions there for sure. Yeah, yeah. Dukes and Bell brought up a good point that I want to – what you think about this with the enemy is he's been like the top head coach candidate for a couple years now and still hasn't gotten hired so what is he doing like i mean there's these rumors about his interviews not being great which were kind of dispelled with the falcons but who knows but a guy that has been number one on the market for a couple years and is still on the market does that not lead you to concerns just for that point at, right there versus uh, like a, a, versus like a Matt LaFleur who just came out of nowhere and now kicking ass? Right. And so that's a good question. And I don't know. You know, it's so hard to speculate on these coaching searches because we don't know the reason why BNME wasn't hired. Maybe it wasn't the right fit. Um, maybe he didn't like it. Who knows? Maybe he is a bad interview. I have no idea. I mean, I think it's worth, you know, when you when you hear stuff like that, my hope is that guys who are a hell of a lot smarter than us who I hope are going to make the right decision, like, I hate to say it, Rich McKay, will look into that and make the right decision based off the data he can gather and the experience he gets when he talks to the enemy. So, yeah, I mean, it concerns me, but I hope that, you know, the truth is revealed. And I don't think... We can just say, oh, just because he's been the top candidate for a couple of years, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we heard the same thing about Kyle Shanahan when he was in the Redskins. Or excuse me, the, Washington, the now Washington football team. Uh, he interviewed for some head coaching positions before he went to the Falcons. And then he got his stock super high and then cashed out to go to be the, the 49ers coach. You would think that the enemy, but you would think that the enemy would have cashed out last year after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. So, I mean, there could be some credits to what you're saying. But but and if we're being honest, like Shanahan's not crushing it in San Francisco right now. I mean, granted, well, he got to the the Super the, Bowl, in, the injuries but, were astronomical this year for San Francisco. I don't think you can blame him for that. 
Right, but th- th- there are just certain guys who, I mean, that I guess this is a strike against my boy Joe Brady, but there's certain guys who are great coordinators that just can't make it as a head coach, a la Dan Quinn, a la we'll see about Sarkeesian after seeing what he did with Alabama, and now he's going to Texas, a la Bill O'Brien, who just really screwed things up also in Texas. So it's like, that that's the factor is like, yes, he could be a great, amazing offensive mind, but does he know how to lead a group of men? Which is the weird thing about Dan Quinn was like, he did know how to lead a group of men, but I guess he's just not a great defensive mind. Now he's a defensive coordinator again. I don't know. Dan Quinn's a conundrum. I can't figure him out, but you want some sort of combination of Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan. And that's what we got to hope that Joe Brady or, enemy or whoever the hell we hire is that they can do both sides of it because it's obviously there's a reason a lot of people are just coordinators the whole life and some people are bill freaking belichick right so i think and that's uh, what rich mckay has to figure out or whoever our gm is right so i think but, that we'll be seeing something soon ish about maybe after the super bowl maybe a little before i don't know i hope at least the gm Hope at least the GM. And I would love if the Saints lose this weekend that they're like, okay, we hired Terry Fontenot or something. Um, yeah, this GM has, like you said, some killer decisions to make. Like this draft coming up is drafting fourth. Yeah. Can't remember if we said that on the podcast or not. Yeah, drafting fourth. And I think, too, one of draft. the great things about bringing this guy in is also he knows the division. He's been in this division for 16 years. He knows the ins and outs of every single team in this division. So that that's a and he knows our biggest rival. I mean, this this would be a coup, I think, to get this guy into the Falcons organization. Let me ask you this: After did you watch any of the national championship last night? Watched like 20 minutes worth. Are you still on Justin Fields? I didn't see enough of him like seemed like every time I looked up that Alabama was uh was just moving down the field without any issue at all so I didn't really see what Fields did I know I think what Ohio State only scored like 23 or 25 points or something like they got absolutely destroyed yeah they, they got slaughtered yeah and I I'm, I'm kind of I, I don't know I keep going back and forth but I'm a little bit more on board with what's your boy from Penn State what's his name oh the Mika linebacker Par- Mika Parsons I'm kind of back on board with take Mika Parsons in the first round and then Mac Jones in the second round. I mean, you could do that. I mean, I think that one kid of the things, can sling it. Yeah, and, and one of the things, um, just to let people know about Mika Parsons, one of probably the top defensive prospect in this draft, went to Penn State as a linebacker, middle linebacker, had like 196 tackles over three seasons, six sacks, um, I think couple interceptions, multiple balls defended. Those might not sound like amazing stats on their own, but the fact of the matter is is that he was an enforcer as a middle linebacker and can really lead a defense and has elite kind of like once-in-a-generation kind of speed for a linebacker, and he's also physical. He's not a, he's not a smallish guy like Deion Jones. He's like, he's like a Ray Lewis prototype kind of thing. So 
if you got a shot to get that guy that can really bolster a defense, and I know we've been talking about offense a lot, but our defense sucks. We have good individual players, but they don't come together as a unit for whatever reason. I don't know if that's leadership, skill, or just the chemistry isn't there. I also know we don't have great edge rushers. I mean, that's been established for 20 years now. But getting a guy like this who is is, is poised to set the world on fire on defense, I think, is really important. Even though I know and, this quarterback and this quarterback draft is is deep, like you're saying. So if you want to get somebody in the second round that you think could be a good pick, you don't have to go for a Fields if you don't think he's the right guy. I think Parsons is a slam dunk. I don't think there are questions about Parsons. Absolute slam dunk. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. Is like, I'm still not like Justin Fields looks great at times, but he also looks, you know, very average at times as well. So if you can get a superstar, I mean, imagine Dion Parsons fellow that you just compared to the best linebacker in history, which might be a reach, but we'll see. I'm sure you've watched the YouTube highlights. Oh, yeah. And this, guy's a, this guy's a freak. And uh, Foyer, like, I mean, that, that's got to be the best linebacking core in the league right well, there. I, I don't know. That might be hyperbole, but I think that makes our defense – especially our front seven, a lot more formidable, particularly if you can get a good defensive edge rusher. And now you're starting to cook with some Crisco, as a friend of mine likes to say. Well, plus, if you have guys like that, then you can get creative with bringing Deion Jones on a lot more blitzes like we saw this year. Right. You still have Foyer and Parsons back. So it's intriguing. I'm still, you know, I'm every week I change my mind on what I want, whether or not. I want to take the best available defensive player or, you know, either Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, but they might not be there either because someone's going to trade up. So Miami's got the number three slot right now due to another terrible trade by the Texans and your boy, Mike Smith. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) who isn't there anymore? Well, it's his organization. He he fostered that type of ineptitude Uh that they that they make these ridiculous trades left and right. So someone's going to jump us because they know that we might take a quarterback. So someone's going to jump us to take either Fields or Wilson. Very likely. So, you know, that could be a good thing because then we have Parsons and then you can take a Kyle Trask. You can find a Mac Jones. Like, I, I understand that conventional passers aren't the way the NFL is going, but, you know, they'll also win you games. They're less injury prone. Maybe that's the way we go. I don't know. I, but I still talk think to me you, tomorrow. Yeah, I still think you need to get a quarterback. It doesn't necessarily have to be this draft, but you need to get a quarterback at some point that has mobility, that has the that that can run when the play breaks down, and not a Matt Ryan scamper once every game where he gets ten yards. I'm talking about a guy that can rush the ball 10, 15 times a game if necessary, especially with this offensive line. Um. You know, even though there are some parts of it that are better than others, and we have young guys like Lindstrom and McGarry still progressing, um, you know, we're losing Alex Mack probably. And I know we have Hennessy, who's the heir apparent to Mack, but that's also some really big shoes to fill for a young guy. So we need somebody who can scramble back there in the near future. And I also think that even though, you know, we've questioned Matt Ryan a lot over the over the end of the season. Um, I have much bigger concerns on the defensive side of the ball than I do on, on uh, for our quarterback. 
even though I know, even though I think Matt's glory days are behind him, and you know that's coming to an end sooner than later. If you put a gun to my head right now and you give me the chance to potentially draft a linebacker who could be a once in a generation player or Justin Fields, I'm going to probably I probably want the linebacker. I want the guy who's going to be here for 15 years and be a murderous son of a bitch on the field and just take people out and become an enforcer for a defense that lacks teeth, man. It's a punchless defense at the end of the day, even though they have great individual players. We got to beef up this defense. It is a bad defense. You just, I just don't think you can pass up this this kind of talent. And Fields may be a great quarterback. I don't know. I mean, he showed me a lot in that Clemson game, taking that hit, coming back, throwing for like five, six touchdowns, whatever he did. But you're right. He's been inconsistent. Some weeks he looks like he's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes, and other weeks he looks like a pedestrian player. And not just against Alabama, but it's happened in other Big Ten games. So it's like, who knows? But consistently, Parsons has been a beast, particularly the last couple of years. Everybody says he's a monster. You can look. You can look at the highlights. You can look at the, the the footage on him, and it looks like what they say is true. And that's the kind of guy you want to pick to lead your defense for the next fifteen years, hopefully. So Graham, I'd rather take the I'm sure so- thing at four. I'm sold. Although knock on wood, calling it a sure thing. But the the other kicker with this quarterback discussion is we're in a good situation with Matt Ryan having him teach a guy for a year or two, whereas, like, really Trevor Lawrence is probably the only guy that you have any confidence in stepping in and being a starter from day one in the 2021 season. So that's why it it would be so nice to take what you're going to call the sure thing, I'll call, you know, the the higher probability. Yeah, that's that's probably better. And Parsons, and then – get a Trey Lance, get a Kyle Trask, get a Mac Jones, someone like that in the second round that can sit and learn for a year or two and then hopefully take over. Right. And be great. You got to have a plan. Um, So we've spent 36 minutes on the Falcons, Graham. That's a lot for a team that hasn't played a game in two weeks. And gets our our blood hot. Right. It's more fun you know, to talk about this because it's a chance to try to resuscitate the franchise. One thing oh, we should it's also so much better than talking about the actual games, right? And one other thing we should also, yeah, one other thing we should also mention is whoever we hire as a GM has a lot of work to do uh, in terms of the cap. We have to cut twenty three million dollars worth of cap just to get back to zero to neutral for this upcoming season. Thanks again, Thomas Dimitrov and Arthur Blank. Falcons for life, Graham. Falcons for life. Ugh. Should we should we take a second break? Brought to you by seeing if my mic is still buzzing in your ear. Yeah. For well, that entire do. 37 minutes. <laughs> let's do it. All right. At least it sounded like when we did the sound check there that Adam's buzzing has stopped. So hopefully it was just for that first nine minutes. Let's jump into your Atlanta Hawks which, once again, I haven't been able to watch a single game of, due to YouTube TV completely fucking me over by not renewing their deal with Sinclair Broadcasting. So I'm going to let you lead us into this, young man. Well, this is a topic, Graham, that changes every week. All right, Graham, if we had talked after the first five games of the season where the Hawks started 4-1, and one, with their only loss being 
a 145-141 loss to the Nets, who have Kyrie Irving and Durant, I would have said we might be the number one seed of the league. (laughs) And then if we had talked before yesterday, where the Hawks proceeded to lose the next four games to the lowly Cavs, the lowly Knicks, and freaking Charlotte twice in a row. Wait, Hornets, they're back in Charlotte, right? Yes. Okay. Pelicans are in New Orleans. Right. Right. I'd say we're going to miss the playoffs. But we're talking after last night where we beat the 76ers 112-94. Granted, a 76ers team that was decimated by COVID. They had Ben Simmons and pretty much their entire backcourt out of the game. Uh, and it was we were actually favored by like six and a half points to win that game despite the four-game losing streak. But, you know, we won 112-194 in the fourth quarter. It was just all garbage minutes with the bench finally getting some play. So it was a big win. Trey Young looked like Trey Young again in that four-game losing streak. I was going to ask you if you watched any of it, but I know you didn't. I mean, against the Hornets, a couple games, Trey Young just looked like he didn't give a shit about the game. Like, he had a couple decent stat lines, but he went two full games without hitting a three. His energy wasn't there. He had like six or seven turnovers in a game. It was just really weird to see. Uh, But last night, shot was back. Hit like three threes, zero turnovers, looked like himself. So at the end of the day, we're five and five through the first 10 games, which I believe is a position that we said would be a possibility. This team's still learning to gel together. But all that being said, we're still decimated by injuries, including the latest injury where our number one signing from the offseason, Bogdan Bogdanovich, he like fractured his knee the other night and they haven't said how long he's out for, but we're looking probably four to six weeks without him. And we, and it could be longer too with a fractured knee. And that could be season ending potentially. Well, it, it's not that type of fractured. Like all, all the doctors are saying somewhere in the four to eight weeks range. Because all, all the doctors also said that we'd get Clint Capella last year and we never played. So you never know how those recoveries well, go. Last year didn't matter as well. True. But I'm just saying initial diagnoses aren't always accurate. Right. Which is why. This is a medical show, Adam. Don't you which remember? Is why the, I know it's not a wrist injury, but it's still a medical right. show. <laughs> which, which is why the Hawks haven't, they haven't given us their official uh, analysis yet. But. All that be, so all these guys we signed in the offseason. So Bogdan's out. Gallinari's out. Let's see here. We still haven't seen our number one pick, Okongwu, but he might be back in the next week, but he's just not basketball ready. Rondo's been out. He's also the same deal. He, maybe we'll see him in the next week. Tony Snell finally played six minutes of garbage time last night. Uh, we haven't seen Don at all, the ex-Chicago Bull. So they're still decimated by injury. The point being, Graham, let's just hang around 500 for a little bit 
until we get some of these guys back and learn how to play and win together. Because like last night showed, even though the 76ers, I mean, they, they were playing Dwight Howard with, uh, damn it, what's, what's their big center's name? The Beast. Embiid. Embiid. Yeah, like they, they had to play them together on the court because they had just had they were down to like eight players. So, but right. we proved like, look, when we hit our shots, we're a good team, and we can go up thirty six on a team we're supposed to beat. So, snap the losing streak. They're going on the West Coast now. They've got three tough games. We'll see how they respond, but you know, let's just stay in it not do what we did last year when John Collins was out and like we just completely got out of the mix. Because as we've said, this is a really important year. We got to keep Trey happy. We got to prove that we're ready to go to the playoffs and win now. Uh, And we just can't let these injuries decimate us like they have so far. So tread water for a while. Let Trey and John Collins do their thing. DeAndre Hunter has just been solid to a beast all year. So that's great news. Cam Reddish, I'm on the fence about. But, you know, that this is why we got all this depth. That, so, because injuries happen, COVID happens. And that's, that's like my quick little five-minute summary of 10 games for you, Graham. That's what we got. Any, any sure. questions? Uh, yeah, let's talk about the John Collins-Trey Young drama. Uh, that, that's so, your expertise. I don't know anything about that. I just watched the games. All right. So apparently, uh, reviewing film after the loss to the Knicks, John Collins spoke up and said Trey is uh, not doing a good job distributing the ball and that John should get more touches. And after that game, where the two absolutely horrendous performances by Trey and those those two Hornets games where you lose back-to-back by eight points to them, and I wonder in terms of, I mean, we talked about John Collins too saying that, you know, when he goes to the gym every day, the first thing on his mind is his contract. We know that his contract year, uh, this is contract year. So he also apparently turned down, I think a $95 million deal. So he wants to get into, uh, you know, it's probably the hundred million plus range from the Hawks. He turned down that deal. So my question, Adam, even though I know you don't know anything about this, which I find odd since you are such a Hawks fan, um, what does this say this early in the season that we're already starting to have? And this also came at a bad time when the injuries are piling up and the team wasn't doing well. Where John Collins also, he also John Collins also said that he and Trey are still good, but you know that there is. I think there's a there's a rift potentially maybe not beginning to form exactly like they're they're you know breaking apart or anything like that i mean i think they still have great chemistry on the floor and that's not to say that guys have to love each other or anything you know shaq and kobe not to compare these guys to shaq and kobe but you know they have always had a contentious relationship but what does it say to you that this is the first time we're seeing kind of like a public beef between these guys that have been teammates now going into the third year together well yeah i mean i just think do you, remember, do you remember how much we did offer John Collins that he turned down? Like, it wasn't a max contract, but it was... It was like $94 million or yeah, so. It, it was big money. So that is disturbing that he turned that down, and I can't tell you how many John Collins 
trade rumors I hear. So I certainly would not be surprised if I do wake up and see John Collins was traded to the Lakers or something like that. But I feel like Trey Young needs John Collins. Like this team right now with all the injuries is basically Trey Young and John Collins. Like, I mean, we got Hunter, but he's still more of a efficient role player. Like, right. And then when you lose guys like Gallinari and Bogdanovich, that limits your offense for sure. Um, one of the things he also said that Collins said was that, which I, which is something I agree with when I, when I have heard the Hawks this year has been, um, this is from uh, The Athletic by Chris Kirshner. But Collins, uh, it was said that Collins talked about the need to get into offensive sets more quickly and to limit all the early shot clock attempts that leave his teammates on the outside looking in. Um, so that's something that I've been very frustrated with Trey on before, even though he can make some amazing shots where he just, you know, walks up the court and jacks it from like, you know, 10 feet in front of the damn half court line and shit like that. I'm exaggerating a little bit there, but you know, those ridiculously deep threes he takes. It's like, yeah, it would be good if we can get more ball movement and things like that. I don't think, I think it's okay to be critical when criticism is warranted. Um, but the other thing is, is that how much of the motivation, the impetus for Collins to speak up here is based on wanting to put up better stats for his contract and not for the benefit of the team can't blame a guy for wanting to get more money especially in a and and something that as as high dollar value as the nba where you're you have a limited shelf life you get get all the money you can but i wonder if his comments are based more on that than they are on on making the team better i don't know well i i'm i'm, I'm reading yeah, yeah who knows i'm reading into I, stuff. I do know that his comments came during that four game losing stretch where as i said trey just was he was playing sloppy like he, he was missing shots, right. which will happen. But like, he was being lazy with the ball. He wasn't putting out energy. So I don't know what the hell was going on. And it it sounds like reasonable feedback from John. Uh, but for John, as far as the money talk, like you're you're gonna get more money by helping your team win and being seen on a bigger stage. So I, I don't I don't know if other people see him as a max contract player at this point. I think he's got to prove it on a bigger stage. So I don't know. I, I think I think we have the depth to sustain a John Collins trade if you know, assuming we get a decent player back. But yeah, I hope I hope we don't get. I think he's a really a special player. And um, I mean, last year alone in a shortened season, he and Trey hooked up for 163 assists. Or Trey Trey assisted on 163 of John, Con- you know, 100 John Collins 163 times. Yeah, like Trey. So, I mean, these guys clearly have a great chemistry on the court, and I hope that this is just something. I mean, after those comments, you know, we had two bad games against Charlotte, and then Philly, uh, Trey picked it up again. So, hopefully, it's a motivating thing, and I think it's good to ch- you know sometimes it's good to challenge guys in the locker room. It doesn't sound like anything he said was out of the ordinary. Like you're a piece of shit and go fuck yourself. It was like, hey. Here's some stuff I'm seeing. So maybe maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, give them a little kick. Like they're they've sit, they've faced a lot of adversity early on here in the year. So we'll see how they respond on this West Coast trip. I I I still don't know about this team. Like 
like a, I think it's difficult. It's really difficult to have a formulated opinion on on an NBA, you know any team unless it's the NFL after like ten games. Like, I mean, we've seen a lot of teams in the NBA in the past um, have slow starts and or mediocre starts and then pick it up. I mean, it's a long season. I think there's enough talent here to to make the playoffs. And when we get a lot of these guys back, we'll be in much better shape. Um, so I'm not worried. And also, you know, I'm not one of these people that I mean, I remember after we were four and on Twitter or um, and then we beat the, the Nets. People were freaking out, saying, why aren't we going to any primetime games? Hawks are going to be the number one seed. Hawks this, Hawks that. And I was like, it's five games into the into the year, guys. I mean, this is just it's kind of crazy, I think for the fan base and the fan base turns on them immediately when, when things don't look good against shitty teams. So it's like, this is, this is the time in the, in the NBA season to have a neutral view on what's going on. Evaluate, criticize. Sure. But don't, 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 don't anoint anyone, anything. Don't say, you know, we're having a total collapse when we lose three games or four games in a row to bad teams or when we beat was perceived to be one of the best teams in the conference. So it's just like, everybody just needs to cool their jets Watch the team, and 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 don't have any crazy ass evaluations at this point. It's fruitless. Yeah, I mean, I I always come back to like if if we had talked in the middle of December and said Hawks are five and five after ten games, we're probably like, okay, they're figuring it out. Right, they're learning right. how to play together. That's, that's okay. It's frustrating because I know like healthy this team, I, I think they would crush, but. They're not there yet. I think getting Rondo back, that's going to be a game changer for that second unit. Because Trey Young cannot keep playing the minutes he's been forced to play. Like Brandon Goodwin will come in for 8 to 10 minutes a game to spell him for a little bit. But, I mean, if we could get Trey down to like 30 minutes a game, something like that, just having a Rondo coming out and bringing the energy that he can, the distribution – and to be fair, Brandon Goodwin's been a decent backup point guard. Like he's gotten a lot of praise from his teammates for his energy he brings. Uh, he's a good ball handler. He is more focused on distributing versus trying to score. But he's no Rondo. So I think right. getting Rondo and Gallinari back, I think that's feasible. Bogdanovich, he's going to be out for a while, but you know Herder can kind of play that role. Herder's been what we would expect from Herder. He's been pretty good. Not great, but, you know, he's still a young guy. So get some bodies back, and let's see what this team can become. Let Trey get a little rest, uh, get his shooting confidence back, and, you know, this team's going to be all right. I I I think I need to lower my expectations to, like, back to let's make the playoffs as, like, an eight or seven seed. I think that's a step in the right direction still. Totally. It's a hell of a lot better than, you know, looking up and you've won 20 games in a year. Um, I also have some news for you, Adam. I just looked up the Hawks' schedule. The schedule, uh, the season's over March 3rd, so that's like a month and a couple of weeks sooner than uh, the season would end normally. Hmm. So it is a bit more of a, a sprint to the finish than uh, than normal. And also taking into consideration, they started this, like you said, they started the season in late December. So this this is it's still not time to freak out. But I think 
you know, in February, if we're still seeing this up and down kind of stuff and not a lot of consistency, then I think people can start worrying a little bit more about, you know, where the team's at. But I think, you know, let this month play out, let the first couple weeks of February play out, or maybe the first week, and then if we're still, you know, we should have a pretty good idea of where that where this team is by that point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this West Coast trip is pretty big. You got at Phoenix, at Utah, at Portland uh, this Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So, you know, if they get swept there, then we think a lot differently about these Hawks. If they win two out of three, we're back on the right track. So we'll see. No. Well, Adam, I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Atlanta Zone, the first real episode of 2021. Unless you have any other comments, questions, concerns. I guess we got nothing on the Braves still. No Ozuna still. Nope. Yeah, I guess we don't even need to mention them, huh? It's a Bravesless episode. Mm. That's weird. I did not see the Falcons being the main part, but, you know, it makes sense. Thank God. I mean... Lots of action going Imagine on. Imagine if we still had Dan Quinn. God. I think we'd go on a protest of uh, not talking about the Falcons until Dan Quinn was fired at that point. Crazy he got hired already as a D coordinator. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. We got to talk about that for at least a second. He's, the, he's now the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys. Can't wait to see how he takes that defense, which was one of the worst in the league, and make them even worse than they were this year. <laughs> We, we play them this year as well. Oh, I hope we just destroy them. I hope Matt Ryan goes in there and throws like six picks, or not six picks, sorry, six touchdowns. And I'm sure all the Matt Ryan haters just were like, yeah, you know what he's going to do. He's going to throw six picks against the Cowboys. No. We got a young way. We, we, we got we to beat Dan. We got to beat Dan. We got a young, young way coo the hell out of them and kick like five onside kicks, see if they know how to recover them. Right, and then have our offense come up short and then kick five field goals after we recover those onside kicks. Yep, that sounds about right. Right. That's a, that's a true Atlanta Falcons football right there. That's the plan. All right, folks, that wraps us up for this week. Thanks for listening. And we will see you all next week. Until then, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer, mix it up, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitality. Ah, uh, spatomonosip. <laughs>